Good morning, church. As you're aware, the Christian faith is a Trinitarian faith. Therefore, I greet you in the mighty name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. I'm going to speak to you this morning from Psalm 39. So get out your Bibles and turn to uh, Psalm 39. And as you will see in that particular psalm, there's a superscription. And it is as such, the chief musician, even to Jedun, a psalm of David. And I confess to you this morning that Psalm 39 is a very exceptional heavy lament by David. And this particular psalm applies to all mankind, especially to the psalmist. In this intent lament, David will break his initial silence with two rounds of request and reflection about the brevity and the burden of life. So I ask you this morning to Stand with me as I read this particular psalm. And I ask you to stand in, in honor of the word of God, <clears throat> but also I'm making a statement in terms of that I'm not here this morning preaching to you. But I'm here this morning preaching to us. And I'm asking you to stand in agreement with me. So hear the word of God as recorded in Psalm 39, verses 1 through 13. And I'm reading from the ESV. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me, and I mused the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O oh Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. And verse 5, behold, you have made my days a few hand breath, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stand as a mere breath. Selah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing. They are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, for what I do, I wait. My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. 
verse 11, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Verse 13. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. The grass withers, the flower faded, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I come this morning, and I come before you, and as we acknowledge your word is more important than even food to our bodies. Lord, we cannot live without it. We know that our Savior taught us this. We need your word more than we need food. For we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. So, Lord, speak, Lord, this morning. Your servants are listening, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Oh, you may be seated. Now, uh, uh, Psalm 39, the most encompassing idea in this particular psalm is, what is the measure of my days? Uh, that is what I'm calling the big idea. And this particular psalm is composed of three parts. And the first part, the psalmist suppresses the complaint to God until he can contain himself no longer. And the second part of this uh, psalm is when he can contain himself no more, he uttered his cry of distress, centering in the innate frailty of man which he feels are present. And then the final part of this particular psalm, he presents his petition to God who will certainly regard his tears and spare him. And so with that, particular, with that said, uh, let us go ahead and jump into this particular psalm and look at the uh, interpretation of it. In the first part, I would like to call the introduction of this particular psalm. And the first three verses will be considered the introduction of it. And uh, in verse 1, it says, I stand... I said I will guard my way that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. And so we see in this first verse that, that David starts out in the pit of Solomon. And what he is doing is, and if you notice over and over, he say, I will, I will. And what David is doing, he is relying on self-effort in order to uh, resolve his problem. He's not looking to the grace of God to resolve his problem. And we don't know exactly what David's problem is or any particular circumstance that this psalm was written. But nevertheless, as we dive into it, you will begin to see that David is seeking forgiveness for his sin. 
And, and you notice he says, sin not with my tongue. And the sinning could have been in one of two particular ways. He could have sinned in a direct way in terms of criticizing God for not bringing retribution to the wicked. And if you kind of notice also in an indirect way, David makes a statement in terms of not complaining in the presence of the wicked. And that was the implication of what he was saying about he will keep silent in the presence of the wicked. So David was not the only one who committed sin with his tongue. As you know, the tongue is like a weapon that cuts into the very soul of man. In fact, about it, the book of James clearly addresses the tongue is like a fire. And we know that a fire can be very, very destructive. And just as uh, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah's tongue was touched by burning coal. And we also need to allow the Holy Spirit to touch our tongue. Considering the circumstance and situation of all these media platforms today and many things that are kind of said on them, our tongue really needs to be touched with the fire of God. Now, kind of notice with me in verse uh, 2. And David say, I was mute and solemn. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. So you really see that David tried to do something, but to no avail. And that simply means that he did something, but he did not have any success in what he was doing. So we really see in that particular case, silence is never productive. It is all, silence always makes the situation worse. In fact about it, it made it so worse until David began to despair. So what David is really saying is, if I just don't talk at all, I will not sin with my tongue. And David determined not to say anything, good or bad, and this not speaking did not stop his heart from burning. Because you notice he said he began to burn from within. And look with me at verse 3. And he said, my heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. And what David is saying there is, David's silent, but he began to unload his burden with God. And he was keeping silent before the wicked, but he is beginning to unload before God. And what better person to unload our frustration to? God himself. And, and when David say muse, he just simply means to meditate or to ponder. So the worst thing a person can do is to bottle things up inside of himself. Sometimes if we can just tell someone what our problems are or issues are, it works out a lot better. And as we keep things in, it becomes like a burning in our heart. So look with me at uh, verse uh, 4 through 6. And what we're going to see in verse 4 through 6 is the brevity of life. And look at verse 4. David says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. 
So verse 4 reminds me of, you can look at verse 4 in terms of a prayer. In fact, about it, as I've been beginning to say, verse 4 reminds me of other similar prayers about the brevity and the burden of life. If you recall, Job prayed such a prayer, and even Moses prayed such a prayer, as well as Solomon as well. And David is aware that God knows what the end is. In fact, about it, this morning, Brother Tyler read, Tyler read from Psalm 90, Teach us to numb our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And the fact that David called God Lord, Yahweh, which implied the covenant-keeping God, is a step in the right direction. David is aware that God knows what his end will be. And David is asking God for wisdom to know the shortness and the frailty of life. And that's a prayer of humility. And David is saying to God that I am weak within myself, Lord. He knows he cannot depend on his own goodness. Life is short. Life is empty apart from God's favor. And David is desperate for deliverance. In fact, about it, I'm sure that we all have felt sometimes in our life like David, asking particular questions such as, Lord, why am I living? Can I, can I not be some use to you on this earth? And we all know that God knows the answer to our questions. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, in order to help us with the frailty within ourselves, and we do not have to depend upon ourselves, we can depend upon Jesus Christ. Amen. And look with me at uh, verse five and, verses 5 and 6. In these particular verses, you will really see some images that David used that reflect the brevity of life. And verse 4 reads as such. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stand as a mere breath. Selah. And, and, you, and as I kind of said, he is using some images in order to make a point of how short life really, really is. And, and he used the term hand breath. And we know that a hand breath is the smallest measurement of time in ancient days. And how you measure a hand breath is as such, from your thumb to your little finger. And if you measure that distance, it will be something less than three inches. And this is the implication of a hand breath and how short life really, really is. But I also notice that he says, my lifetime is nothing before you. And what David is comparing is man life in relationship to God eternity, eternal life. It's nothing compared to God. And then here's another image that he used, and he's saying that man life is as a mere breath. A mere breath that we breathe. So, so no matter how 
old you become, this life is like a vapor. It is here today and gone the next minute or the next second or the next breath. And then verse 6, surely a man goes about as a shadow. Now here's another image that he's using. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. So now, as I said, life is being described as an image of a shadow. And we know what a shadow looks like. Here for a moment and gone the next moment. And David used the phrase, man heaps up wealth. The psalmist reminding us we cannot take it with us when we go into eternity. Someone else will enjoy your stored-up treasure on earth and spend the money that you have made. So we see in terms of the futility which characterizes all mankind, so much effort for something unsatisfying and fleeing. And that takes us to verse 7. And in verse 7, we are going to see David reflecting upon hope. And this is the turning point in this particular psalm because David is turning from his own self-help way and he's looking to God now. In verse 7, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. And this is the hope, the blessed hope that David is speaking of, that we are so promised in the book of Peter. And it's a hope that makes us not ashamed. So the psalmist is making the Lord the object of his hope and trust. If life is so short and so futile, the only possible hope for deliverance must come from the Lord. So we see in verse 7 the answer. My hope, Lord, is in you. And we ought to lay all things of this world down and live for Jesus Christ. And I think of the rich young ruler who loved the material things of the world so much that he traded eternal life for material wealth. But our hope is in the Lord. And look at verse 8 with me. David is continuing his reflection. And this reflection is pointing us to the providence of God. And verse 8 reads as such, Deliver me from all my transgression. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. So we already saw early in this particular psalm that David recognized his sin as the source of all his trouble and sorrow. And right now he is desperate for deliverance. And if only his transgression were forgiven, he felt assured 
that his troubles would be removed. And we see that David's first petition is that God will deliver him from all his transgression. And David go on to say, make me not the scorn of the fool. And what David is implying in that particular phrase is, let not their prosperity and my misery give them occasion to regard an unworthy of one notice or consideration for my serving of you and trusting in you, Lord. Just as God sent Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt, he will deliver David. This is not limited to the Old Testament. God sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to deliver you and me. Jesus not only delivered us from hell and the grave, but deliver us from our sins as well. And that takes us to uh, verse 9. And verse 9 reads, I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. And I like the way the King James rendered this particular verse. I am dumb, or will be dumb, and will not open my mouth. Uh, that is not in a complaining and murmuring way against the Lord. Uh, David rec recognized that it is God who has done this. And that's what I mean, meant about the providence. David is seeing the providence of God in his life, what is being done. In, in fact about it, you know, even in the book of Esther that we've been going through, we are seeing the providential work of God in that book over and over, although God is not mentioned. So we see that David is cleansed of sin. He is without speech because God has done this for him. David had no words to explain how God purged him from his sin. The only thing he knows is God did it. In verse 10, the psalmist says, Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. Now the psalmist still consider his affliction as coming from the hand of God, as his stroke upon him, and which lay as a heavy burden on him, and which God only could remove. And David going to say, I am spent by the hostility of your hand. And the implication of that is either that his flesh was consumed by his affliction, which come from the hand of God, or he should be consumed if he did not remove it. He could not bear under it, but must sink and die. So what David is saying, Lord, it still hurts, but there is a loving purpose behind it, and there is an end to the suffering. So you really kind of see that God is chastising David in a very loving way. 
Verse 11. When you discipline a man with rebuke for sin, you consume like a moth which is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Selah. Like a moth. Your moth are very, very destructive. And that's what David is implying is they represent destruction. They are some very, very destructive creature. But God is disciplined David not so much to destroy him, but to grow him in his faith. So God, as I said earlier, is seeing David is seeing God's loving hand uh, in his life. And this brings us to the closing verses in this particular Psalm 39, verse 12. And verse 12 reads as such, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner, a guest like all my fathers. And you notice David says, hear my prayer. He's asking God to hear him. And then you notice he used the word, he say, give ear. Give ear to my prayer. And he's asking God to listen. God, listen to my prayer. And then notice he say, to my cry. He is saying, God, please do not be deaf to my weeping. And then he's going to say, I am a sojourner with you, a guest like my father's. And he's referring to, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his forefathers. And David used the term a sojourner. And some of your Bibles might say a stranger. David considered himself to be a temporary guest and a squatter in this world as well as in the presence of God. And kind of notice in that verse, he said that he's a sojourner with God. David didn't say he's a sojourner from God. He said he's a sojourner with God. Amen. And, and that's what we are. We, we are sojourners in this world. We are just passing through on our way to heaven. And Jesus Christ came into this world as a sojourner. 
to save us. So in that particular verse, David is seeking God protection as he sojourned through this life for the kingdom of God. And that brings us to the closing verse, verse 13. And David say, look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and no more. And the phrase, before I depart, and David is speaking of out of this world by, de by death. David is speaking of his death to this world when he say, before I depart. David wants to be assured by God that he have been forgiven before he died. And all of us are facing death to this world. Our body is of the dust of the earth. And to dust it will return. And we can say, praise God, that our spirit body will live on. And the phrase, be no more, bring his present state of existence to an end. And I want to bring to your attention how that particular psalm ends. In many of David's psalms, they start out where he is really complaining to God about a situation or circumstance. And then on the end, David wind up praising God. But as you notice, this particular psalm doesn't end with praise. David never get a resolution in this particular psalm in terms of his problem or problems, which we don't know. But the thing is, David continued to trust God. Amen. He continued to trust God. So we see there is hope because the same hand of God that gives this spanking is strong enough to deliver us. Is strong enough to deliver us. And there's some parallel in terms of David keeping silent. In verse 1, where it talks about David kept silent. Uh, Jesus Christ also kept silent under the conditions and circumstances that he suffered under an awful lot. So that's the uh, context of that particular psalm that I want to share with you uh, this morning because we know that David is declared in the Bible to be a man after God's own heart and over and over we know that David always kept a short account with God 
And I see in this particular psalm, he is keeping a short account by seeking you know, God's forgiveness. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you and we thank you for this particular psalm. And Lord, we thank you for the truth of the psalm. And we thank you for your word and we ask, Lord, that you will cause it by your spirit to dwell in us richly. In the name of Jesus, amen.